Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Did I tell you guys that Hanukkah is coming? Did you, did you pick up on that yet from anything in the service? Was there any indication of that? Well, it is. And, of course, I need to make a comment or two about Hanukkah. What, what is it all about? Well, it's about fried food. It's about latkes. It's about donuts. It's about, well, not really, of course. It's about oil, right? Oil, that's where the fried thing comes from because the oil was uh, in, the, in the story, but, but oil is not really the main focus, particularly in the traditional Jewish sources. That's not the main focus. So oil, hmm. it's, about, it's about resistance. It's about fighting assimilation. It's about battling syncretism. It's about battling apathy and lawlessness. That sounds good. That's a good one. But I think we could just as much say it's about battling anti-Semitism, which in this day and age, I don't know if you're aware of how incredibly prevalent anti-Semitic acts are, but it is terrifying. But maybe that's what it's about, standing up against Antiochus and, and, and all of these things. And that's, that's a big one. But maybe it's just simply about God's power, moving through a minority of people who were willing to stand up and, de- and defend. It's the Maccabees. We know the stories. Maybe it's about that. But man, what a holiday, All of those things are a part of it. It's got all of this going on. It's a very spiritual holiday. And but but if we really consider all of those things, and there are probably some other ones, but if we peel back each of those progressive layers that I just mentioned, what is Hanukkah really about underneath all that? It's about the Torah, is actually what it's about. Now, how in the world are we going to get to that? Well, let me, let me just suggest that, that I'm not talking about studying the Torah. I'm not talking about halacha. I'm not talking about the scrolls, the processions. I'm not talking about that when I talk about Torah. It's about the spirit of Torah, the importance of God's word and what this entire culture had as the basis for how they lived their life. It's about a connection, the spirit of Torah. It's about that word of God having a place in society, a place that was respected, revered, a place of dignity, a place of attraction. That is to say, something that people actually found value in which sounds a little different than our culture today. But seriously, the the Torah, God's word and plan for us in this world is the story here. Now how? How is oil 
How is that part of Torah? Well, because the Torah gives the instructions for the oil and how it's supposed to be used in the temple and who can do what with it and what it's supposed to be made of. The story of the oil is in the Torah. It comes from the Torah. What about assimilation? That's not in the Bible. It's absolutely in the Bible. When God says, when I give you this land and you go in, do not become like the people around you, especially the idolatrous fornicators that surround you. Ever done any history on what was going on in the Greek culture? culture of Antiochus Epiphanes, but assimilation begins. God, pre- God says, don't do that in the Torah. What about anti-Semitism? That's not in the Torah. It's everywhere, beginning with Amalek. The story is obvious that the Jews have been hated almost from the beginning. That's actually a part of the Torah, and the thing is, the Torah says, God speaking to his people, You will be my people and I will be your God. That cannot be taken away no matter who wants to try to twist that. And God's power, I mean, God's power is everywhere in the Torah. We see the miracles that God did. Starting at the Red Sea and before, I mean, well, there were a lot before that, but how he brought them into the land And Hanukkah at the very root is about dying for what you believe in. And in this particular case, it happens to be God, the Torah, and the way of life. I watched Braveheart last week. Again, speaking of anti-Semites, what a shame that Mel Gibson is such a loon when it comes to the Jews. He makes such great movies. But that movie is so powerful. The story of William Wallace, a hero, real hero, who didn't care about land, title, money. He just wanted, what does he shout at the end of the movie when he's on the block and it's horrible and no one even wants to watch it and they think he's gonna confess and say, what does he do? He stands for what he believes in and shouts, freedom. Man, And that's what they were fighting for. Freedom to live as Jews, to observe the priestly rites in the temple, to have a temple, to observe Shabbat, to circumcise their children, to do the things that God said were good for them to do, ways that kept them connected. And if you need some proof, we can read in Maccabees, Lysias, one of Antiochus' right-hand men, He knew, he saw what they were really fighting for. He was trying to make peace with the Jews because he knew that they were kicking butt and he didn't want anybody else to have this relationship. And he writes and he says in 1 Maccabees 6, let us grant them freedom to live according to their own laws as formerly. It was on account of their laws which we abolished that they have become enraged and done all these things. They are fighting for their laws, their way of life, freedom to live by the Torah. And someone might say, Rabbi, that's a cute little quaint, sweet Jewish story you're telling there. That was before Jesus. Things are different now. The Torah, eh. I don't think so. 
because I've actually read the words of Jesus. And Jesus knew the aftermath of what had been accomplished through the Maccabees. And he very plainly comes along and says, I didn't come to undo what they've done. I didn't come to, to take away the Torah or to put it aside. We read that in Matthew 5, famous, famous, famous messianic thing. We all love to say, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I tell you, not one single stroke will pass away until that is all accomplished. He was continuing the work of the Maccabees, not putting it aside. And Judaism, even after the destruction of the temple, continued to try to put the Torah in a place of elevation as a way of life, as a connection to God. So we see from the Maccabees to Yeshua to, to Judaism today, but you know what? It didn't take very long for a version of Antiochus Epiphanes to show up again. But it wasn't a crazy, power-hungry madman. And this is so incredibly ironic. This is so interesting to consider. The attempted death of the Torah did come again not long after the Maccabees fought for it. A way to separate the Jews and really all of God's people from the Torah, from the true and full story of the Bible. And I state this very, very delicately what I'm about to say. But where did that attack come from? The church. It honestly was not that long after the Maccabees defeated Antiochus Epiphanes that councils came and said, no, no, no. Not just the Jews. Gentiles, believers in Yeshua, do not have anything to do with Passover, do not have anything to do with the Shabbat, do not go near a synagogue, do not converse with Jews, they're cursed. Isn't that interesting? I don't even say it with malice in my heart. I, I say it with like surprise. The battle that the Maccabees fought for the relevance and importance of Torah for God's people was undone by councils who intended to impart new and better ways of doing things, right? Now, there was a familiar battle cry. It wasn't new. It was just a restoration of the old one. Listen to this. Listen to this response. In those days, there appeared in Israel transgressors of the law who seduced many, saying, let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles all around us. Since we separated from them, many evils have come upon us. So the proposal was agreeable. Some from among the people promptly went to the king and he authorized them to introduce the ordinances of the Gentiles. Now, I'm going to say Gentiles a lot today. Obviously, the majority of my friends in here are Gentiles. I don't mean it pejoratively. It has to do with the historical context. But do you know what church council that was from? That was from about 400 years before the first church council. That's from the book of Maccabees. 
That's chapter one, book of Maccabees, the story of how things got to where they were is that people would not stand up for what they believed in. And what was, what was attractive to the flesh became the thing. And it goes on to talk about having a, building a gymnasium and having their circumcisions undone. Man, you thought Abraham's deal was bad. Wow! But those same prohibitions the same prohibitions that Antiochus put in place came about just a few hundred years later from the church, from believers in Yeshua. The same Yeshua who said that thing back in Matthew 5. And that is church history. No Shabbat, no Pesach, no circumcision, no synagogues, no Jews. And that, my friend, is what Jews have been fighting for millennia. And you ask yourself, and I hate the question when people say to me, why don't the Jews just see it? Why don't they just accept Jesus? Because you told them that they shouldn't do these things. You told them that Jesus told them they shouldn't do these things. And that doesn't line up. And here, we transition to the Hanukkah message for Nechamu Ami, 2019-5780. You ready? Here's the amazing thing. We, we, you and me, are fighting the exact same battle as the Maccabees. Now, the cast is different. It's no longer Judah Maccabee. It's me, Damien, actually, my Hebrew name is Yehuda, so that still counts. <laughs> but it's me and Deborah and Darren and Travis and Charlie and Savannah and Sam. It's all of us now, Jews and Gentiles, fighting for the relevance and prominence and place of Torah in the lives of the believer. Is that weird? That's end times if you want to talk about end timesy stuff. What am I saying? We are the Maccabees of today. And it's not Antiochus Epiphanes that we're squared off against, but it's the same spirit. We are squared off against replacement theology. You think that was Antiochus' deal? We're squared off against anti-Semitism. Was that his deal? Yes. We're squared off against apathy in the believing community. We're squared off against anti-Torah stuff, which all of those things sound pretty Antiochus Epiphanian to me. I made that up. But it is a remarkable thing to consider that now Jews and Gentiles through Messiah Yeshua are fighting the battle of the Maccabees. That's what I talked about last week. It's what I talked about in my end of year video. We are fighting for the lives of us and our children. Does that sound dramatic? I read a statistic this week, a study, the most comprehensive study I've actually seen, and it was from 2016, about church and the degradation of the church 
and synagogue. Do not exclude synagogue from that. Did you know that 75% of people under the age of 50 who were, who were, re, who were raised non-religious have maintained that identity? That, it's not that surprising, but 75% of people who were under 50 who were raised in a non-religious home have re, retained that identity. The reasons Americans leave their childhood religion are varied, but number one, lack of belief in the teaching of the religion in which they were raised. The other one is something to do with their parents failing again or something like that, but do you know what that's saying to us? That's saying that there, is a, there, there was a shaky foundation from about the time we took Judaism out of the whole deal. We were built on something shaky because we removed all of these things that God said were really good. And the foundation is being challenged. It's being shaken all around us. And you can try to deny it and come up with all these other statistics, but those are lies. The truth is the foundation is shaken. And it was being shaken in the 140s BCE. They stood up for it. And listen, that's that, that parental statistic I just gave you, if you have kids, that should scare the junk out of you. Because what it says is that the Shema is true. It says that it is our obligation as parents to teach them in the way that they should go. When we sit, when we stand, when we retire, when we arise, when we walk on the way, when we're in the house, that's on us that these 75% of people, because we didn't, we didn't, and I'm not talking about making little freaky weirdos, little religious weirdos who just are weird. I'm talking about making a real relationship with your kids centered on God and the word where they can ask you questions and they can, oh my gosh, are you ready? They can disagree. And then you can talk about it and you can, you know what you can do? You can actually let kids develop some ideas and conclusions and you can walk them through sorting those out without saying, I told you, Junior, this is how it is. God said it, I'm God and that's it. Kids just need some conversation. Now, we are the adults. We are the ones who are to show them. I'm not saying you just let them fly free out here. and <laughs> You have to give them guidelines and parameters. When you give them nothing, they have nothing. And they will be nothing related to God. And that's what the Maccabees were fighting for. And that's why they said, we are fighting for our lives and the lives of our children. I stole that from them. I wasn't really being dramatic. They were dramatic. We are fighting this Maccabean-sized struggle here, right here, to connect to this dying, apathetic, lawless, careless world. And it is an ancient struggle. And as I already told you, from 155 BCE, to the, to the Nicene Council, that wasn't that long for it to all get undone. And something new 
despite the words of Yeshua, despite the words of Paul that the Torah is good, despite the words of John and James and all of the Jews who came after them who said, no, 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 no. Yeshua in a place of prominence. Yeshua as the coming king. Yeshua as the master. Yeshua, but not the rest being thrown away. We have to hold on to that. And they said, "Mm -mm, no way, dirty, dirty, dirty. So Hanukkah comes and serves, reminds us that it is possible to win battles that seem insurmountable. And this one, every little day seems to get more and more difficult to fight. But there's a question that I want to ask. It's actually a question that I read from a sermon, an amazing question. A sermon from 1959 by Rabbi Norman Lamb, a very, very well-known traditional rabbi. And the answer to the question that he asked, and I'll tell you the question in just a second, there is a marvelous, empowering, inspiring, and relevant point in the answer to his question in this message about Hanukkah. His question is this. We have this massive eight-day celebration, food, celebrations, dancing, prayers, food, candles, food, more food, donuts. No, we have a serious thing. We have a huge celebration for Hanukkah. Why is it that there's not even a subtle nod of acknowledgement or encouragement, not even a, a, a little attaboy to Solomon who built the first temple. Why is there nothing that acknowledges that that took place? That was a very big event. That was establishing Israel as as the dominant force, their wealth and influence and, and all of the things, the priests and the temple and all the people participating and everyone was engaged and it was completing the vision of David, the man after God's own heart. Isn't that at least worth a mention? Maybe a little kiddish and a, and a, and a baked potato or something? I mean... Why? Why is there no holiday? And the answer that he gives is just worth reading because it matters for us. The answer lies in the difference between building and rebuilding, between constructing and reconstructing, between dedicating and rededicating. When there is a new movement, a new campaign, a new idea, anything that has with it the power of novelty, then it is almost assured of freshness, vigor, and enthusiasm. The decision to build something new is not spiritually difficult. Everyone is anxious. Everyone is aroused. Everyone is excited. The people involved in such a project, they move forward generally with a great surge of strength and spirit, something new, yeah. But the decision to rebuild, that is far more difficult to approach a pile of rubble and try to make it a habitable home, patiently to pick up the pieces of the past and paste them together, to take the tattered ruins of a former majesty and somehow restore them, to patch together 
what time and circumstances ravaged, for that the masses have very little enthusiasm. Less spirit and no patience. And thus, when King Solomon took it upon himself to build a new Beit HaMikdash, a new temple, it was a comparatively easy thing to do. He was able to ride on the crest of popular appeal and mass sentiment. But when hundreds of years later, the Maccabees returned to a desecrated temple, to a sanctuary that had been profaned in the eyes of the people to restore it to its old eminence, it was already an old story to the citizenry of Jerusalem. When they had to re-consecrate what had been defiled, that was a great achievement. For they could not count on mass movement and popular sentiments. Their project required enormous vision, tremendous courage, vast inner resources, and iron conviction. Do you understand the point of that as it relates to us? Let me clarify it briefly. That is us. That is us. There are the tattered ruins of what was supposed to be. The tattered ruins of of millions, billions of believers who have no concept of the beauty of the celebration of Hanukkah, Shabbat, Rosh Hashanah. Billions. And now we sit in a time where in our culture and others, even those systems of churches and religious communities are failing miserably and becoming rubble on the ground. We must possess in our mission that I talked about last week and will talk about enormous vision and iron conviction. We must have that to restore the Torah to its proper place. For God, for Messiah Yeshua, for Messianic Judaism, rebuilt, restored, reinvigorated. I talked to you last night, last week about 35 years of, I mean, what do we have? What real impact has Messianic Judaism had? This is the time we must have some impact. But it is not easy because the systems are well established. You see, there are, there are responses. When, you, when you're called to a challenge like this, there are, these, there are three responses. When there's something difficult ahead and it needs to be rededicated the first response is in 1 Maccabees where you have the, what I'll call the moaners. They heard and it was really bad and, and, and the, the text actually, it, it says, there was great mourning throughout all Israel. The rulers and the elders groaned. Every bridegroom took up lamentation. All the house of Jacob was clothed with shame. Those are the moaners. This is bad. Let's try that again. This is bad. <laughs> the followers, the moaners. There's the martyrs. And I am in no way suggesting that martyrdom is a bad thing. Martyrdom is an amazing thing. 
but not all the time. And there's a story in 1 Maccabees about Hanukkah where the people had gone out to the wilderness and they were in caves and the enemies found out about them being out there and they came out there to kill them all. And it was on Shabbat and the people in the cave said, we're not even going to put up a fight. We're not going to, it's on you if you kill us. We're not going to put up a fight even. And what happened? They killed them, all of them, a thousand, their men, their women, their animals, they killed them. Those are the martyr response. It's a sad and beautiful story, but, but mostly sad, more than productive. And then the last one, the last response is the Maccabean response. And if their response to that very situation is this, when Mattathias and his friends heard of it, they mourned deeply for them. They said to one another, if we all do as our kindred have done and do not fight against them for our lives and our laws, they will destroy us from the earth. That is to say, this is going to be very hard, but what choice do we have? Jeremiah 16 says, stand by the roads, our six. Stand by the roads, look, ask for the ancient past where the good way is and walk in it, find rest for your souls. That's a pretty awesome thing. That's what I've been talking about. I will talk about restoring, rededicating, rebuilding Messianic Judaism. That is truly for all of God's people. Because... As I quoted last week, if Avram Polyak, if his statement is true, which says if the Bible is true, and if Yeshua is the Messiah and the King of the Jews, then the Jewish Christian slash Messianic Jewish movement is the most important phenomenon of our time. The distinguishing feature indicating that the world has come to a turning point. You see, here's what happened with the Maccabees. The world was at a turning point. They took the third choice and stood up and did something about it. That was Hanukkah. This is Hanukkah 5780. We also are at a turning point where you can decide we can complain, we can tuck tail, or we can fight. And it is a fight because it's not a flesh and blood battle. It's a very real spiritual battle that we wage. I do not stand up here and suggest we're fighting against the church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're fighting against powers and principalities that would cause damage. This is our duty. You see, there's one last, there's, there's one danger in this. When you have observed the failure of something, when you have watched something fail or, or erode or decline, and someone comes to you and says, hey, let's fix this thing. Come on, get excited. Let's get back in there. There's a tendency for humanity to become totally practical, too practical. Practical in the sense that, well, that won't work because this and all the mundane details and all the other stuff, well, that didn't work the last time. We got it. 
and lose complete and total sight of the big and broad picture, that this is a turning point and something that we together can do. So I borrow this quote from Rabbi Lamb, forget for a while your practical needs, the bricks, the mortar, the managerial tasks, the whole long dull list of actual practical needs, and concentrate instead upon ruhi, the spirit of the Lord, which activates the heart of each and every human being. Not bad for a traditional rabbi, huh? Concentrate on the spirit of God that is moving in our midst. This is our duty to restore what has been lost. And I know it seems vague and obscure. I don't even really know what you're talking about, Damien. Yes, you do. You live in this world. You see the same things I see to restore what has been lost. And we may not change the entire world, but we'll change a part of it. In 1959, Norman Lamb was saying the very same thing. That was 60 years ago. Is that math right? 60 years. You think it's better? He said... Uh, ours is a historic duty rebuilding the spirit of Hanukkah, reinvigorating religious feelings and rekindling the religious spark in Jews whose hearts have become encrusted with inertia and indifference. He's talking about reaching out to his fellow Jews 60 years ago whose hearts have become encrusted with inertia and indifference. What do you think hearts look like today? Is your heart crusted with inertia and indifference? It's a real question. Because if it is, you'll take one of those top two responses, a mourner or a martyr. But I'm asking us as a congregation to walk out our Maccabean calling. And that is to fight for what we know is right. He was right then, I'm right today. And the task is a large one requiring much work. I'm not a fundraiser. I'm not someone who, who I'm always talking about money. I don't, I don't give you messages about tithing. That's on you. But that's why I sent out a message to you. Someone might say, why is he talking about money so much? You want to know why? It's going to be kind of coarse. Because I care much more about the mission than what you think about me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. There is a mission and a calling at a turning point right now where we can do something. And as I said, it will take everything we've got. Gosh, he's so dramatic. I know because this matters. I am dramatic. This matters. It mattered to them. It matters to us. And it's going to take all of us, everything, if you're listening online, I'm talking to you too. You may, be, may not be physically here, but you're part of this mission. We have a special thing here, and the world needs to, for us to do what we do best, to learn, to inspire, to teach, to reconnect them to the word. I got an email from someone, well, someone sitting in the front row, Linda Plowden this week. It's talking about, you know, trying to engage with the community and teaching a class about the Jewish Jesus. And she took a class at Wesleyan that I taught like that. And she said, that changed my life. 
There are a lot of Linda Plowdens out there dying on the vine because they have no connection to the power of the word, the power of the spirit, the power of what actually I said the word religion. It's like a bad word. Religion is not a bad word. If it's filled with the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, filled with connection to the God of the universe and the Messiah of Israel, it is not a bad word. And we need to bring the beauty back at this turning point. Because you see, that's what they did. And there's a big party starting tomorrow night for these guys who did it. Because they did something extremely difficult. And we too, have you gotten this part of the message? We too have a mission and it's difficult and we need to do it. And there will be a party that we get to go to one day. It won't be our party It's going to be more like kind of a wedding supper. But the things that we do to impact the world are going to affect the number of people that are invited to that party. And so, I want all of us and everyone else who's coming here to have in your mind the scope, the power, the massive importance of the mission we have So that when we get to the party, we'll all hear what we're dying to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Happy Hanukkah. Shabbat Shalom, my friends. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.